Great to, uh, great, really great to be with you. I'm going to pray that I, I don't have uh, Malcolm's anointing come on me uh, during the preach. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, it could make it really quite an interesting preach. So, um, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to um, uh, Luke chapter 19? Um, uh, as Malcolm said, my name's Paul. I'm here with Chloe. We've got four boys who are all back in Hastings somewhere. Um, uh, we, we, we left the three younger ones with instructions to be walking up to church. Whether they made it there or whether they found McDonald's on the way, um, we don't quite know. But uh, we'll we, we find out when we, uh, when we got back. We've been, um, well, Chloe's been in Hastings for uh, pretty much, well, all her life and part of King's. Um, so, so only 21 years. Um, no brownie points for that on the way back anyway. But, um, and uh, I've been in church for about 25 years, been leading the team for the last nine, and uh, we're really enjoying life there. We're enjoying being, being part of New Ground. We're enjoying being friends uh, with uh, Adam and Malcolm and Ian and uh, you guys, and it's a real privilege to come up and see you uh, and spend time um, with you. If you've got your Bibles, you'll notice at the end of chapter 18, there's a really exciting story. Um, it's a story where uh, Jesus is about to enter Jericho and, uh, and uh, he's walking through down this street and there's a, a, there's, there's a blind man there who's begging at the side of the road and uh, he hears that Jesus is passing through and um, uh, really wants to meet with Jesus, really wants to uh, have an encounter um, with Jesus. So I'm not texting someone, I'm just pressing start on my stop clock so I know when to finish. Anyway, um, he, he's really, um, uh, he really wants to meet with Jesus and he shouts out in a very irreverent way, shouting out, you know, Jesus, Jesus, stop, stop, I need an encounter with you. And we, we love stories like this, don't we? We love the miraculous because basically Jesus stops, he brings this blind man over and uh, basically in an instant he heals him and he can, he can see. Like just in an instant, this incredible miracle takes place and what Sheila was sharing about a release of healing and stuff like that. And you think, wow, does, does anyone here want to see a bit of the miraculous taking place? Yeah, yeah? It's, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? I'm not going to be talking about that at all. <laughs> We're going to talk about the story that happens after that. When Jesus meets a guy called Zacchaeus, um, and it's just as miraculous. It's just as amazing. It's just as much a work of the Spirit um, taking place in his life. And even what Sheila was sharing about a release of finance, people being set free from debt, um, where Adam shared about that whole area of surrender, I thought, oh, such unwise words. I do hope none of you are putting your hands up for the surrender bit, because I knew I was going to be talking about money. And, and actually, that, that, whole, that whole sense, actually, that, that no, God, God wants all of us. God wants to bless all of our lives. He wants to see you as a church breaking out in signs, wonders, and miracles seeing more people responding to the gospel, but also he's, he's passionate about your wallets as well. He's, he's passionate about all of our hearts. He's passionate about all of our lives. And so that's what we're going to be uh, looking at today. So I, I trust you're ready for a bit of surrender. 
Trust you're ready to respond, not, not to me, but to what God says in his word. Let's have a look, let's have a look. We're going to read Luke chapter 19, through 1 through to 10. You know, you know when you're getting old, when you look at your microphone thing and you have to ask your wife which way you have to turn it to turn it on because you can't read it. So, uh, so if I can't read the Bible here, I might have to get someone to shout out and um, uh, read it out for me. So Luke chapter 19, verse 1. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried, came down and received him joyfully. And when, he saw, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he is also the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Today we're going to look at the story of when Jesus met Zacchaeus. Let me just pray. Lord, I just want to say thank you so much for the wonderful privilege of worshipping you. We thank you for the wonderful privilege of you speaking to us. We love it, Lord God. It's such a privilege. I just ask you that you... Holy Spirit will continue to speak to us over the next uh, 25, 30 minutes. Lord, we do. We do say, genuinely say, Lord God, with all that we are, we surrender to you. Have all of us. Have all of us. Would you come and do your work? Would you come and be glorified? Would your name be made famous in Seven Oaks, we pray? Would many people come to know you? Would many people uh, find physical, emotional healing? Oh, would many encounter you? Would many marriages be restored, Lord God, we pray? Oh, Lord God, have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I'm going to do is I just want to uh, flesh out the story a little bit, give you a bit of background, explain what's going on. I know it's going to be very familiar to many of you. It's probably one of the first stories you'll have heard in Sunday school. There's quite a lot of, that's compelling about it. You know, this little rich man who climbs a tree to see Jesus and the incredible transformation. So I'm going to sort of flesh out the story a little bit. And then I've just got three very practical points um, that we can take away. So it says at the very beginning that Jesus um, entered Jericho. He was heading through to Jerusalem. He was heading through to the cross. Jerusalem's about 18, um, 18 miles away. And this is the climax of Jesus' three years of ministry. In many ways, even as Jesus goes this way, it's just interesting to note that for Jesus, he's, he's, he's only a matter of days away from the cross, which would have probably been the biggest test that he ever faced. 
So as he's gone through, he's approaching Jericho, he heals this blind beggar, this amazing miracle um, takes place. And then as he's walking through the streets of Jericho, he comes across uh, this man, uh, Zacchaeus. What do we know about this man? Well, he's the chief tax collector of the area. Tax collectors in that day were even less popular than they are today. So... um, He was working on behalf of the Romans, collecting taxes um, from his fellow Israelites. So he was was sort of collaborating with an occupying force. So I don't know if you've ever seen sort of any of those war films, maybe based in France with the French resistance, but then you've got the collaborators and and, and you've got sort of the the, the French not not being necessarily keen on those who are collaborating and, um, well... I guess there would have been that sort of similar thing going on there. It says that Zacchaeus was really, really wealthy. He was doing very, very well um, out of his um, trade. Jericho was also Herod's winter capital. It had a big, large building project going on at that point in time. And Jericho also had a lot of balsam trees, which were used in medicine. And it was a trade route um, as well. So collecting taxes would have been a very good business uh, to be part of. Although, Although Zacchaeus was financially rich, he would have been relationally poor. He would have been an outcast of mainstream Jewish life. And he would have been a million miles away from reaching God through religion. Because the sort of religious teachers of the day would have had nothing to do with him, as we've already read later on in the story. But although he's relationally poor, and although he's a million miles away from God via religion, he was really hungry to meet with Jesus. He was really hungry to see who this Jesus was. He, he, he wanted to meet this Jesus he'd heard so much about. We don't quite know why, why he was so keen. Maybe, maybe he'd heard um, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Maybe he'd heard the parable of the prodigal son and thought, oh, Maybe there is a way back for me that way. Maybe he'd heard how the sinful woman had been forgiven by Jesus. And he thought, oh, there there could be a way for me. Maybe he'd heard that one of Jesus' disciples, Matthew, was an ex-tax collector. And he thought, you know what? Maybe there's hope for me. Jesus, Jesus made enough room for anyone to come. Jesus made enough room for anyone to come. He was rich with his money and possessions, but he was poor in so many other ways. Poverty reveals itself in lots of different ways. Lots of different ways in people's lives. So he ran on ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Tax collectors probably don't run very much, and they certainly don't climb trees. But he was really keen to see Jesus. A bit like the blind man who shouted out. And even when people told him to be quiet, he shouted all the more because he was hungry for that encounter with Jesus. He was willing to push past what the crowds would have thought of him. He was willing to push past his unpopularity. He was willing to push past the fact that he was an outcast. Why? Because he knew. He knew that that encounter with Jesus 
would be life-changing. Like that woman who had the issue of blood and pushed past the crowds and thought, if I can just grab the hem of his garment, I know things will be different. How, how hungry are you for him? Are you, are you as, as hungry for him now as you were when you first came to know him? Or has it all settled down a little bit? You know where you're going to find him if you come at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. You know, you know he'll be here, but even when you're here, maybe you sort of just sit back a little bit, take it all for granted, or are you hungry to encounter God? When the guy who led us on worship, so I don't know his name, pun? Adj. When Adj said, shout out to God, passion, zeal to cry out, oh, just, well, you know, I don't want to be too passionate, you know. Don't want to stand out. Interesting, these people that meet with Jesus, they're passionate. Pushing, I'm going to get hold of God. Even if no one else does, I'm grabbing hold of Jesus. And then in verse 5, this, this incredible thing, Jesus is walking by, he looks up and he says, Hi Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. I mean, just that, that word of knowledge, that I, I don't think anyone said, that's Zacchaeus up the tree, he's, he's rich, he's wealthy, you want to, you want to, no. I, I think Jesus had a word of knowledge. As you guys are going out on the streets, it's brilliant to ask people about, you know, what do they think of Easter, and to invite them along to the Easter things, to do all of that, but, but wouldn't that be amazing if you had a Zacchaeus moment? You know, you're out on the streets and just, I don't know, God gives you a word of knowledge, you step out a little bit. Cool, think how buzzing you'll be by the end of Saturday. Do you know what I mean? God honours you in that. You know, and whether you get it right or wrong doesn't really matter. The fact that you've been obedient and stepped out, that's the important part um, in it. Just, just encourage, take some risks. The supernatural opening up kingdom opportunity. Not in a church meeting, just on a journey. I can imagine Zacchaeus half falling out the tree. What? He knows my name. I haven't just seen him, but he, he knows my name. And if, if you don't know Jesus here today, you know he does know your name. He does know your name. He cares about you. He's got his eye out for you. He'd love to come back to your house. He'd love to get to know you. I'm sure Ian or Malcolm or Adam would love to tell you more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But the response of the crowd wasn't so good. But when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. They're right, he was. But so were they. Ephesians 2.4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us. None of us deserve the mercy of God, his undeserved kindness, favour. So some of us have a nicer veneer on the outside, but on the inside, we're just as broken as the person that sat next to us. We need an encounter with Jesus to change us. Nothing else will do. Bible reading won't do it. Coming to this wonderful church will not do it. Regular attendance of your small group midweek church life won't do it. Going, if you're young here today and you're going to the youth camp, that doesn't make you a Christian. You need a dynamic encounter with Jesus where you cry out and say, Oh God, you, you come knowing I'm a sinner who needs saving. Reaching out, Oh God, save me. 
And he, he responds. He responds in mercy. He responds in grace. The reality of it is, none of us deserve the mercy of God. None of us deserve his un, uh, uh, undeserved kindness or favor. Favor. But Zacchaeus was valuable to God. A chief tax collector who swindled people was valuable to God. He is created in the image of God. He is crowned with glory and honor. And his bad actions didn't remove that value. He's still valuable to God. And that's the same for us here today. Our actions cannot remove our value before God. It isn't our achievements that make us valuable, nor can our actions remove that value. Jesus knew Zacchaeus by name. He knows us by name. He loves us. He cares for us. He is passionate for us. The crowd didn't like that Jesus was a friend of sinners. But he is. He is. Jesus loves tax collectors. Jesus loves politicians as much as nurses. People who work for payday lending companies as much as teachers. He does. He loves us. But we can so easily put a moral value on what people do and maybe think if you do things wrong, you're of less value. God doesn't say that. And then we see the power of grace. Then we see the power of mercy breaking into an individual's life, which is incredible. This guy who had loved money all his life. This guy who had gone into an industry to make himself rich. He had great wealth. And what's the response to this encounter with Jesus? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also the son of Abraham. I don't know what conversation Jesus had with Zacchaeus. We only really know the results of it. But this, this guy who had made money his God on encountering Jesus was dramatically... There was a, this was a heart change. This wasn't because he'd listened to a preach on money. He'd met with Jesus and grace had invaded his heart to whatever had been his idol before, whatever he'd been pursuing before, he'd found one of greater worth. He'd found a greater treasure to pursue, which is Jesus. And it had a dramatic effect on how he lived life. This isn't a salvation by works. Because it's interesting, I don't know if you read it, but, but it's provoking how Jesus words it. I think he did it deliberately. Today salvation has come to this house since he is also the son of Abraham. What's, 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 he making, what's he making that statement on the basis of? Not a confession of faith, but his actions in regard to money. He, he sees something there that, that causes Jesus to declare, yet salvation has come to this man's house today. It is, it's provoking. If, if I'm honest, it's slightly uncomfortable. 
It's, it's on the back of actions. Now, it's not actions that say he was saved by faith. But that faith wrought a change. The grace of God wrought a change in this man's heart, a dynamic change. As, as clear as that blind man's eyes were opened, so this Zacchaeus' heart was changed. Now, you could see one very clearly. The, the, the other may, maybe was, was harder to see, but, but both dynamic, miraculous events taking place. And it's in stark contrast to Luke 18, just the chapter before, where the rich young man comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, well, you, you, you keep the law. And he says, well, I've, I've done that since my youth. So he says, well, sell all your possessions, give to the poor, then come follow me. And it says, and the young man went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, Zacchaeus, we think, pretty clearly think, was a crook. The rich young man doesn't say anything. Actually, he was a good man. I've kept the law since my youth. It's, it's provoking. Grace does you in. It doesn't work as we think is fair. But that's where we sometimes don't understand where all of us have been saved from. Randy Alcorn says this, Jesus judged the reality of this man's salvation based on his willingness, no, his cheerful eagerness to part with his money for the glory of God and the good of others. That's the fruit he saw. When Jesus visited his home, his heart was changed. Zacchaeus found something of greater worth than all his money and possessions. He found one that made all the money seem of little worth. Jesus is the greatest treasure you can ever find. Philippians chapter 3. Paul, the Apostle Paul said to the church at Philippi, I count everything as a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Now, he doesn't mention money in there. He mentions his religious achievements and where he was born and his nationality. And he mentions all of those things. But he says, they're all rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. Well, what would Zacchaeus be saying? You know what? I count my wealth my possessions, my property as nothing in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. I surrender all to you, Lord God. I surrender all to you, Lord God. So I just want to emphasize just uh, in the second half, really, three things. Just practical outworkings. Now, I'm aware, even as I'm sort of just looking at my notes now, I really don't want this to be, when you're listening, thinking, well, well I've, I've just got to try harder. Because if, if, that's, if that's how we leave here, then, then what's happened to us, what's happened to you, is not what happened to Zacchaeus. See, Zacchaeus or Jesus. And... And he changed on the inside, but put practical out, working to it, flowed out. Um, as I'm speaking here, I'm, I'm really happy to provoke. I'm really open to the Holy Spirit convicting. I'm really hope, open to there being an encouragement to you. But in the end, this is a, what we're talking about here when it comes to money and possessions. This is an, about an act of worship. It's about when the offering bucket goes round or whatever we're doing with our money. It's about when that goes round and we're saying, actually, 
this is part of my worship to you, Jesus. As I put my money in, I'm saying you are of greater value to me than the pounds in my bank account or the shares that I've got or the properties I own or the possessions I have. You are of greater value to me than those things. But these practical points may provoke and stir you if you've just become a bit settled when it comes to money and possessions. Because I know I, I need stirring regularly. I can think, you know, we, we often as a church will have gift days in September, October. They're normally my most uncomfortable months of the year. Because um, when it comes to giving money, nothing quite gets me quite like that. And I can think I've worked it through with God. You know, me and God, we've come to an agreement. We've come to an arrangement. But when we come round to the following year... I think I may have settled back and the Holy Spirit is just as keen as before to say, Paul, Paul, what about this? What about that area? And so I think it's always helpful to have a provocation there. So my first uh, point is that, um, and, and please, I hope you don't find this irreverent in how I've worded it. Um, we need a conversion of your heart. You need a conversion of your heart. You also need a conversion of your wallet as well. If I'm honest, some ways I prefer to keep my heart and wallet separate. But the Bible doesn't and Jesus doesn't either. In this account, salvation is proclaimed on the back of fruit, not merely a confession of faith. Jesus has no problem of linking money with salvation, money with kingdom advance. We've got the rich, foolish farmer in Luke chapter 12. I think you're doing a series in Luke, aren't you? So you'll be coming for all of these. You've got the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, the rich young ruler in Luke 18, Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Jesus uncomfortably watching the widow putting in her copper coins into the collection bucket and the rich man at the temple in Luke 21 and Jesus, no, Judas betrays Jesus, Jesus for money in Luke 22. We see money, salvation, God's work all tied together frequently throughout uh, the Gospel of Luke. It's not just Jesus but John the Baptist in Luke 3 who also links faith with repentance and money. So to the crowds, he says, you know, so what, what, what must we do? Well, repentance for you, crowds of people here, is if you've got two tunics, give one away. If you've got spare food, give it away. Practical outworking with possessions. Tax collectors, don't charge more money than you're authorised to. That's what John the Baptist said to them. Don't charge too much. To soldiers, he says, don't exhort money by threats or false accusation. Interesting. So all of the sort of things that marks of repentance... All linked to do with possessions and money when John the Baptist um, was preaching. And we often see in the Bible salvation, generosity going hand in hand. Martin Luther said this, that for each of us there must be not only the conversion of the heart and mind, but also the conversion of the purse as well. What a shame, eh? In what ways, just leave this question for you to think about, in what way has you following Jesus affected your wallet? Just let that leave it there. In what way has you following Jesus affected how you use your possessions? Secondly, the pro- 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 provocation. provocation. 
the anointing's flowing. <laughs> actually, actually, Malcolm, I do it all on my own. So, so I do it all on my own. So, second provocation is we need to think differently about money and possessions. There needs to be a kingdom change of thinking. Repentance actually is a change of direction. It is a change of thinking. And so we need that when it comes to money and possessions as well. And Jesus is very provoking in this area. I'm not certain I'd really want him as my financial consultant. But I think that is the ambition of the Holy Spirit for every single one of us, that he becomes our financial consultant. That we listen to him first and foremost. Um, we, we won't because of time, but if you, if you were to look in Luke 21, verses 1 to 4, I've already referenced it. Um, Jesus is sat there at the temple watching this poor widow put in her last two copper coins into the offering thing. Maybe the last two pounds she had to live off. First thing is Jesus is happy to watch. Still is happy to watch what we give. Still, still happily watching. He's happy to commentate on it and discuss it with the disciples. Which is a bit frightening. But it's also incredibly releasing. You see, Jesus said she put more in than anyone else. And so as we're talking here about money, and you may think, oh no, he's talking about money. I haven't got any. I really want this to come with grace. Look, look. The smallest amount given as an act of worship to Jesus is the most that anyone will give in this place. Because Jesus doesn't count the same way as everyone else. It's a reflection. It is worship of the heart. I think the other thing, if I'm honest as a pastor, I feel really provoking. Jesus didn't stop her. You see, I, I may have been tempted to run over and say, look, look, dear, keep Keep it. If you've got any left at the end of the month or at the end of the week, then come back and pop it in. But I love your heart. I love your passion. But maybe you should wait. He didn't. He, he was happy for it to go in. Which as a pastor makes me feel incredibly awkward. But he didn't stop her. Isn't she being massively unwise? Didn't say that. Just honoured her. And said she has given more than all of those rich people who gave out of their abundance. So that's, that's one. So just a change of thinking. It's not about the amount. It's about heart attitude in it. But then, uh, this really is quite provoking, particularly if you're about to retire. Okay? So again, I won't read the passage. I will, I will spare you the pain of it. But I would recommend you, re- recommend you look at it. Luke chapter 12, verses 15 to 21. And it talks about the rich farmer who is saving up for his retirement. And this rich farmer has been really blessed with good quality land. So that when he plants his seed, it reaps a bigger harvest than anyone else's. And the rich farmer says, well, look, look, I'm being really blessed here. Why don't I build a bigger barn to store all of this extra produce in so that then I can relax? What's he says? He said something like, so that my soul can be well. Your soul is never well with possessions. Your soul is well when you've encountered Jesus and you're living in obedience to him. But he bought into that lie. No, my my soul will be well. I will be happy when I've just stored away a little bit more for my retirement. 
And what does Jesus say? He says, you fool. Don't you know that this very evening your life will be taken from you and you won't get to enjoy it? And he said, he said, the problem was you are not rich towards God in what you do with your possession. I mean, this is provoking, isn't it? Oh, I'm provoked anyway. <laughs> See, God knows the heart of the widow and the farmer and sees through the eyes of eternity. He elevates the poor woman as eternally wise and the rich farmer is eternally foolish. The danger is that we can come to Christ for salvation, but when it comes to our money and possessions, we think very similar to the way that we have always thought before. But God is calling for a radical conversion of our thinking when it comes to money and possessions as well. It's it's good to have stuff. God has given many of you loads of stuff to bless you, but bless his kingdom. But he still wants your kingdom, he still wants you to have a kingdom thinking or a kingdom mentality behind it. Um, I've got to be I've got to be quick. I've got to be quick. Now, first, the first way that we respond in our kingdom thinking is that it's it's right and it's good that we give to the local church where we're being fed. It's just a biblical principle. You, you see a principle of tithing through the Old Testament. It comes through into the New Testament as well. Not, not the word tithe, but giving generously. In actual fact, if you were to really do a bit of a Bible study on giving, um, you know, you'll have to sort of steal yourself up for it. But if you were, you'll find that the tithe would be quite a nice welcome relief. Um, to the sort of provocation you find in the New Testament where people were selling fields and laying the money at the apostles' feet, that there was no needy person among them because everyone was sharing. I mean, New Testament generosity, giving, kingdom thinking on money is right up there. It is absolutely way up there. But can I say a sort of a stepping stone just to encourage you to look to give generously to this local church? I can be bold and say that because... um, if you don't like it, I don't get invited back. So that's okay. Um, but, but you'll find that that is a good, solid, biblical principle. And the reality is, you're seeing some wonderful blessings at the moment. I know, I'm, I'm being told and I can see. There's so many more of you gathered here today than there was the last time um, that, that I was with you. God's growing you guys. And there's people being saved and you're being, people being baptised and there's physical healings. You're, you're here to see... Seven Oaks transformed by the power of the gospel. You're here to see the villages and towns around the edge being impacted as well. Well, a kingdom reality is that takes money. And God's going to provide the money and he's going to use you to provide it. That's, that's more, the vast majority will come through your bank accounts. That's just how it works. And, and the more that you give, the more it releases for kingdom advance. And I want to encourage you to stir your faith. Go after healings and miracles, but go after generous giving as well. Stir yourselves. Whatever level you're at, wherever you are, just take that next step forward. I personally have always practiced, sort of, or, or me and Close have practiced generally, that we give in excess of 10%. When there's building projects going on and we're going for big stuff, we will look to push beyond that. And sometimes we've given... Lots more than that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to... There's people within Kings far in excess giving more than we are. But I suppose I want to just provoke and stir you. Don't tip God. 
don't tip the local church. And actually, if all of you stepped up, say, and gave another, I don't know, five or a week, that would transform the finances of Hope Church. What, what are they, 120, 130, 140? Something like that? Pun? People here? 120 people here? 150 adults. Brilliant. Now, I can't do the maths, but some of you accountants can. Five or 20, 20 quid, 30,000? Another 30,000 a year? If, if each of you gave another five a week. Now, some of you can't do that. Some of you can do much, much more. So if I'm making you feel uncomfortable, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> you, may, you, may, you may find, um, oh dear, um, apologies for five minutes. Is that all right? Um, you, you may have a spouse that isn't a Christian. And so again, this is just making you feel really uncomfortable because you'd like to give, but you can't. I just think you've just got to walk so carefully through that. Honour your spouse in that. Don't, don't push. might be good to have a discussion about it. Ask. But, but don't push too hard because God knows what's going on in your heart. Do you know I mean? That's, that's what's important. Um, for, for us with our children, we've always had what we've called a God box. So they get their pocket money on a monthly basis when dad remembers. And, uh, and we use that as an opportunity um, Certainly when they're slightly younger, we use it as an opportunity for prayer. Um, but they would also tithe. So they would put money in the God box on a monthly basis and then they would put it in the kids' offering or they'd put it in the Sunday offering or if we've got a building project, they'd do that. Just as a way of bringing it into everyday um, church life. Um, I'm just going to move on then just to the last thing. Um, Third, the third thing I just suppose I just want to say is you've been entrusted with great resources. You may be there saying that it's okay for Zacchaeus. He had great resources, but, but I, I don't. Um, could we put the next practical slide up? Just very, very practical. So if, if you're earning about £15,000 a year at the moment... Over your working life, you will earn £700,000. That's ignoring pensions and stuff at the end. If you earn 30000 a year, in your lifetime, you will earn £1.4 million. God, did you know that? £1.4 million. Pounds. That's a lot of money, isn't it? If you earn 60000 a year, you will have been given £2.8 million pounds worth of kingdom resources to invest into one thing or another. And... I suppose I just want to say, we're richer than we think. We're invested by God in, with great resources to invest. Now, I know lots of it goes into buying food and clothes and mortgage payments and all of those good and right things. But it is amazing, isn't it? How much resource God has given to you to invest in different ways. Just, I found it um, provoking for myself. And God's invested it with you so that you can steward his resources. A steward can be defined as someone entrusted with another's wealth or property and charged with the responsibility of managing it in the owner's best interests, not ours. That make any sense? It didn't make sense as I was reading it, but um, 
You, you've been entrusted. You have been given the opportunity to steward these resources. Someone entrusted with another's wealth or property. Charged with the responsibility of managing it at the owner's best interest. Not ours. You have been given great resources. Let me encourage you to invest it well. Invest it well for the kingdom of God and to see change and transformation. Just as we close, can I pray? Is that all right? Would you be all right just to stand? And um, I, I just want to, I, I really feel as I'm saying this, this is, this is linked to Sheila's prophecy, a breakthrough of a stepping up. And sometimes we can look and say, Lord God, we want more power. We want more power. And definitely we do. But I wonder if part of it is just linked to money and possessions. Lord, I just thank you so much that you're here. Lord, we, 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 we want to be honest before you, Lord God. Sometimes when we're looking at stuff and subjects like this, we do feel uncomfortable in our hearts. We, we wriggle a bit on our chairs. We're really not used to, in our culture, speaking just honestly and openly about money. Certainly not in church culture. It's not, not often the case quite so much. Let's pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and uh, take these words of mine and plant the right seeds in the right hearts, Lord God. Lord, I ask you for the, the widows among us who really have very limited resources. I ask you, they'd walk out of here on cloud nine, knowing that their Jesus sees what they're doing, knows their heart in it, and they've put in more than anyone else. And he loves their generosity, loves their zeal and your passion. And I ask you for just a joy in it. Lord, I pray for others of us, maybe as we, you know, we're really careful and studious with our finances. Oh, Lord God, I, and even as I'm talking about it, just, just, it just is uncomfortable. I ask you, Lord God, that you'd stir our hearts, that you'd provoke us. Lord, I pray, yes, we want to invest well for our future financially, but we want to invest really well in your kingdom. And I ask you, Lord God, maybe even where we've put up barriers or, or out of fear, I must save. I must make sure I've got enough for my retirement. I, I pray for gifts of faith in this room. That means we can go further than we've ever been before with our finances because it's about kingdom expansion and it's about making Jesus famous. Oh, Lord, I ask you, I ask you for men and women in this room who, uh, as in, in, in Romans 12, are exceptional givers. They, they, they have that gift of faith linked with money. And they, I pray for, uh, uh, I do, I just want to pray for a release of the equivalent of fields being given and laid at the elders' feet. I want to pray for... Property or inheritance, I think inheritance was mentioned, where we come into inheritance and we think, well, I'm just going to give a chunk of that to the church because this, this is exciting, I'm in on this mission, I'm in providing what I can provide into the task. I pray for gifts of faith. I pray for uh, 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 an expansion in that way. And I pray for just over the next 12 months, I pray for a release of finance so your kingdom can expand.
Lord, as I pray as they push into this second meeting, the afternoon meeting, I ask you for a release of finance, Lord, so it doesn't stop at the four o'clock meeting, but goes beyond into whatever God is calling you as a community of people into. I pray for a release of finance for building work. I pray for a release of finance in serving the poor and the disadvantaged in this area. I pray, Lord God, for this church to become renowned for the way it lifts up the heads of the disadvantaged and those who are in great need, who gives away liberally. Lord, I ask you for your blessing and your favour and your grace on this wonderful, wonderful community. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.